so I think we'll go ahead and get started. So uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, um, we are going to start doing things, uh, ch kind of changing up the town halls a little bit. Um, and with Blunty's absence, I don't know that that's going to start this meeting. Um, but one of the things we do want to introduce is kind of a, a technical assistance kind of segment of the town hall. So, um, you know, if you've got uh, something you'd like us to try and help diagnose quick issues, uh, stuff like that, that you may need some help with, um, we would like to hear from you so that we can kind of cover those in the town hall. Because if you're having the problem, chances are somebody else is having the problem, right? So um, now, do we have a specific email for, for that, uh, Dave, yet? Or no, not yet. Any kind of reaching outreach on that. So not just yet. be aware that that's uh, coming up um, just to kind of make these uh, a little more focused on education, learning, uh, that kind of thing. And it's definitely something that we noticed uh, both the times that uh, we went to um, Flight Fest. Uh, we were busy this last year, uh, uh, this, this last month, I should say. Um, in fact, I think I got to fly one, twice, twice. I got to fly twice in the entire four days that we were there. And one of them was, uh, me flying Alex's, uh, custom built, uh, racing drone. So, uh, which was super fun. He's got a great, uh, great build that he's, uh, designed. So, um, we sounds like I've got some, busy. some catching up to do from, uh, being on vacation last week and uh, meeting me an email address to create. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I missed it too. I got the quick, uh, the Cliff Notes version from Dave. So uh, work's been kicking my butt lately. But uh, one of the first things I'd like to, to cover this evening is obviously uh, a little bit of what we were talking about before we got started, which uh, Flight Test has announced its uh, remote ID broadcast module uh, named the Easy ID. Um, so. Uh, this comes out of flight test um, and in conjunction with uh, Tritium Electronics, uh, they have designed and released a USA developed and USA manufactured remote ID broadcast module, uh, which will be available uh, in production in August. So um, just real quick, you want to kind of get a quick glance of what it looks like. I've got one right here. Hopefully you can kind of see that. So. Uh, very simplistic, and then on the back you can see integrated GPS, so it's all in one unit, 2020 holes, um, and no external antennas. 10, no 10 grams, two yep. two to eight s power, mm -hmm. and that's a U blocks eight on it. So, it has a um, GPS pass through right to beta flight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Forget what are the other yep. important specs that people need to know. Um, it Easy setup. Have... The serial is burned in, so you power it up, put it on your aircraft, and go, and you're compliant. Of course, you do, you're supposed to, then uh, register the serial, which is printed on the on the little baggie. Um, you're supposed to register that along with your recreational ID on DroneZone to be fully compliant. There's also a flight test app that goes along with it, and uh, the QR code uh, autofills the 32 character serial number uh, into into the app and does uh, lost plane um, and also track can you if you so desire you can create a uh, flight path and so you can watch the aircraft uh, as you maneuver I am so, curious to... to use the lost uh, lost aircraft feature in there I, I know I'll use it at least a couple of times. Well, I mean, you know, you lost your airplane uh, somewhere. Uh, exactly. Uh, yeah, play fast. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Um, now, this is just the, the bare unit. Uh, I believe they are designing a, uh, like, a case for it. Um, but definitely yes. an easy, easily achievable. If you're, if you're familiar with uh, um, 3D modeling and 3D printing, easy, easy design to, to create a, a little protective case for it, which will be great for um, putting it on model aircraft. Um, Did we also now, say like what the whole pattern was on there? It's a 
Yeah, it's 20 by 20. 20 by 20. 20 volt pattern. And it has a battery on it so that uh, you'll get warm starts on once you've acquired uh, the initial GPS lock. Yeah, so the so. first time it takes a little while, but then after that, what are the specs? It, it's only a few seconds or something, right, to get a warm start? 20, 20 second warm start is the spec that uh, they've been getting. Okay. So if you plug it in and take off really fast, those first 20 seconds, you're, you might be off a little bit. There you go. So um, definitely a, a useful little thing. So um, over in the chat, they're asking if uh, it is certified and available for purchase. It will be available for purchase uh, mid-August. Uh, it is in production, um, and it is. Uh, it was approved by the FAA on May 2. Uh, so it is, and it is FC, the modules are FCC certified. So it, this is a made and designed in the USA product, and it is uh, certified by the FAA and the FCC. So you can't pre-order it yet. And Correct. there's no, is there a price listed on anywhere? $109 MSRP. Okay. So 109 that's everything included, No, nothing missing, everything's integrated. Uh, no separate you do have GPS to connect it to a battery. It does not have a, a battery. Oh, well, it has its own little battery for the GPS, but that's not to power it. And the amp draw is, has a, uh, the average amp draw is 10 milliamps. And we should, uh, we've mentioned it in the past, but we should mention it here that um, we certainly have been uh, involved in this work uh, with Flight Test, uh, providing um, both product management as well as um, uh regulation uh, guidance and background. So it's been a, a team effort, flight test, Pritium Electronics, great team, uh, and uh, and we've been involved as well. Uh, there's... Price is higher than some were expecting. Yes. <laughs> Way higher than the FAA was predicting, that's for sure. <laughs> Not that yeah. the FAA was even in the ballpark. Um, well, and there's a couple of things that go along with that, right? There's been massive cost increases in the electronics components uh, industry, as well as something designed and made in the United States uh, is definitely uh, something. But you're um, to to be able to uh, have that uh, the reliability, the tech support, um, the customer service that that flight test offers. Um, obviously it comes with the value of that as well. So, um, Someone was asking, saying they, they don't see the declaration of compliance. It's out there, right? It's just not really listed it, as flight it's, test. It's listed it's called as UAS. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah. UAS and yeah. RC. Yeah. You can blame me I, on that one. I submitted the uh, the declaration of compliance and I entered the questions just like like I thought they were supposed to be and in in fact somewhere they wanted uh, instead of RC it was supposed to, it should have read flight test the uh, uh the, the serial numbers are listed on the declaration the serial number range um interestingly uh, Alex and I were searching against the serials and uh, it appears that the uh, FAA database is not up to date I was shocked, shocked. <laughs> yeah, the FAA <laughs> database not being up to date. What? Who would have guessed? Uh, I mean, you know. Just like the UAS uh, map doesn't have Frias on it yet? Dunned. Mm. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. So um, if you have questions on that, feel free to, to pop them in chat. Uh, we'll try and hit them. Uh, obviously, this is a big deal for flight tests. It's a big deal for us. Uh, many, many months spent on um, working on this for them and uh, and uh, giving them uh, guidance. Uh, and uh, so good deal. Hopefully, this is uh, helpful to a lot of folks looking yep. to comply with. And if, uh, right. if you are interested in its GPS functionalities for return to home and things, you'll want to make sure it has a clear view of the sky to get great GPS lock. If you're not so concerned about that and you're just doing it for compliance and you don't care about GPS accuracy or range, you might tuck it away in your frame a little farther. Yep. So, <clears throat> all right. Um, so this comes, let's see, this comes from JD Supra. Um, 
The FAA has recently offered new guidance on the boundaries of federal, state, and local authority to regulate uncrewed aircraft systems. Um, the FAA's new analysis resolves uh, several legal questions that have arisen since the agency last published a fact sheet on this topic nearly eight years ago. Uh, I will let me drop this link in here. Um, <clears throat> the FAA's long-awaited revised discussion of the scope of federal preemption and state and local authority comes in a new fact sheet released on July 14th. Um, in the updated fact sheet, the FAA continues to assert broad preemptive authority over airspace regulation. Overall, the document makes significant strides in clarifying the legal landscape. Um, so a couple of things that they really... Um, dig in on is uh, general principles, which clarify several aspects about the scope of federal preemption in this area have uh, preemption in this area has been misunderstood. In particular, federal law occupies both fields of both aviation safety and airspace efficiency. Um, consistent with this occupation of the field, the FAA has exclusive authority to regulate airspace efficiency for UAS at low altitudes. Uh, in the context of navigable airspace, a term of art in aviation law describing the airspace in which there's a public right of transit, um, state and local regulation of UAS can be barred by conflict preemption in addition uh, or in lieu of field preemption, including where such regulations is an obstacle to the FAA's exercise of its airspace authority. So the types of laws that are subject to preemption, and if you don't know what preemption is, is Essentially, if a state or city um, or county um, creates a, a law, uh, let's say for UAS, um, and it conflicts with what the FAA has said, FAA's uh, regulation takes precedence um, in terms of, uh, let's say, uh, regulating uh, operations or restricting flight altitudes or paths. So, you know, let's say in a in a in a town uh, where there's you know no airports, we're going to give this the greatest possible chance here. No airports, no anything, and the FAA says you know in Class G airspace you can fly at 400 feet, and a town comes back and says, nah, in our town you can only fly up to 100 feet. Um, obviously, that would be uh, something subject to preemption, where the FAA would uh, essentially um, take precedence over that. So. Um, uh, let's see, da, da, da. Um, laws aimed at regulation, regulating aviation safety or airspace efficiency, including uh, restricting flight altitude or flight paths, implementing UAS traffic control system, designating highways or routes for UAS, so you can only operate UAS within these specific lanes in the sky, Selling or leasing UAS-related air rights above roadways, regulating US UAS markings, um, establishing a licensing scheme for UAS, pi UAS pilots, requiring air safety education or training, uh, imposing requirements for the safe manufacturing of UAS, or mandating safety-related equipment such as geofencing. So, um, in these areas, obviously, the FAA you know, states that they rule supreme. Um, so, um, laws aimed Rob, at other, oh, go ahead. Rob Robertson had a, a read, uh, over this and, uh, his summary were some, it were some points that, uh, that, uh, reflect exactly what you're saying, Josh, which is a lot of this is, are things that we've known. There's nothing new, but it is new it is different that the faa has written it down so this is a right. lot of what we've seen in practice and there's there's hinting and winking that well you know they they might not uh uh intervene in a recreational uh infraction uh if a, a municipality restricts recreational flights so not not good for us but that's been the practice and mm -hmm. so the FAA has, when when asked, will you please get involved in this preemption case? We have a situation with this local municipality. The response is, well, we're you know not yet, and uh, you know hemming and hawing, and and so uh, certainly Vic Moss has been after the FAA for years on this, um, and uh, the number of cases that the FAA has stepped up to has been zero. So. Uh, a more of a reflection, and much like the uh, 
the PEA FRIA, we see the FAA writing down. So they're starting to draw uh, what it is that they might work on. Right. So it's definitely interesting. If you'd like the um, full uh, fact sheet, I will drop it in here. This is the actual document directly from the FAA. Um, yeah, bit, bits by sites that uh, there's also a lot of things in there that don't make any sense, such as claims that a public park or school has an expectation of privacy. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So uh, definitely uh, interesting on, on that front. So it's good that it's written down, uh, you know, and hopefully that will help clarify for state and local agencies some of the things that they can and cannot do. So. Um, and, so TextJet asks, asks a good question. Yes. What are we supposed to do with this uh, fact sheet? And so uh, if we, uh, if any of us are faced with a locality of um, a, a local municipality uh, uh, citing uh, or putting in place uh, restrictions on flight uh, and in the airspace, not takeoff and landing, but flying restrictions, then this might be the first uh, document that you would show the local municipality to demonstrate that there should be, you know, there is only, we, you know, in our country, we try to have one law. And so that's what federal preemption is all about. That's why the FAA has authority in airspace. So it's, you know, it's something that we can use and it's something certainly that uh, we should uh, tuck away and uh, reference as we see uh, additional regulations. Hey, Dave. Uh, you, you touched on it just briefly, but uh, I wanted to uh, reemphasize the, the launch landing parts. So the only successful legislation uh, that I'm aware of with municipalities, local laws, state laws, has always only governed the launching and landing because they do control the ground space. They just have no jurisdiction over the airspace, generally speaking, or a few circumstances. Very good. Yep. That was a little hard to hear, Dave. Can you summarize what Rob was just saying? I would. I apologize. Half of what I was uh, looking at is I was uh, uh, reading uh, uh, bits and bytes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, Rob, that what you were saying is that uh, in Texas, for sure, that the, um, the some of the local some of the legislation has been on takeoff and landing restrictions, but none of the local municipalities have gone after uh, airspace. Um, um, rules or laws is what did i capture what you were saying yeah yeah um, that's kind of where big moss's group comes in he's been really good at educating municipalities when they're coming up with laws and regulations that they have no jurisdiction for so right uh, i think it's really good if you hear local if you hear your town's trying to pass rules about the airspace this is something that i would provide to them because this isn't something that's highly publicized, you know. Uh, we just ran across it, uh, so I would I would venture to say that the majority of municipalities aren't even aware this document exists and it's not. Yeah, and we've definitely seen lots of examples yeah. of cities around the the country trying to pass legislation that would contradict what the FAA is saying. Okay, and the TextJet has uh, said that only Texas can make uh, drone laws. I'm not sure if he's uh, if he's yeah. kidding us about yeah, Texas uh, can make drone laws, and that's the ideal. Way. Yeah, I know there's leg special legislation in Texas. Not kidding. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yep, we definitely have a couple of uh, challenges across the country right now. So Texas, uh, back to X, yeah. yeah, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Back to X, uh, back to X, Jed. I don't, I'm not quite sure exactly what it's referring to. I'm just listening in. I'm not watching. Uh, if you're referring to the code 423, there's an active injunction in there. It was actually ruled as constitutional for uh, the Texas group law. So specifically the 423 section. Okay. Yeah. Um, Not the whole section. Yeah, let us know, TextJet. We would love, love to hear a little more about that in detail. Did we lose Josh? <laughs> it, it looks like he is gone. 
Okay. So oh, while we're waiting, <laughs> hopefully he comes he back doing... soon. Oh, he's he's showing the Discord little crescent moon. That means he's asleep, right? Oh, I'm getting text. <laughs> I'm guessing Josh is giving you an update on what's going on. Yeah, his internet uh, dropped down. Okay. Um, do this. Let's see if we can close. Can we uh, shut that down? I don't know. A um, couple of things that uh, that have been coming up is um, back in May, we submitted um, comments on the FAA's new noise policy. Uh, I had talked about this for some time, and uh, uh, it was, uh, oh, let's see, I'm sorry, I'm going back. We had May submission was the uh, uh, PEA FRIA. This was the Environment submitted that in May, and uh, I learned this week the FDA has updated and responded comments. And as of June twenty third, they did. So we we'll we'll get that up so folks can read it. Uh, Appendix D has our comments verbatim and then responses. Um, so uh, the spoiler alert is they disagreed with um, every comment uh, bar one, which was uh, when we said that we uh, felt that they had uh, grossly exaggerated the AMA did not represent 95% of the recreational UAS population. Um, the FAA said that they went back and edited this and they saw how they could misinterpret what they intended. And they <laughs> what they really intended was something along the lines of the activities that the AMA had uh, represent and are similar to what uh, what goes on across the which we also disagree <laughs> yeah, with. I wouldn't but, agree with that either. Yeah, that's, yeah. Hundred thousand, couple million doesn't doesn't add the majority. So uh, interesting reading. Um, there were a total of three commenters. So FPVFC was one, and they uh, I think the CDA was uh, a second, and I don't recall who the third is. But uh, we'll get that up uh, and posted. So uh, yeah, we, if you'd like, you can uh, uh, read the response. Gosh, welcome back. Yeah, sorry, my internet's being fuzzy, so if I drop out, uh, I apologize, but this was uh, reported by SUS News. This is, uh, they pulled our comments, um, I guess, so, and, and posted Great. them on. Yeah, they also had the uh, courtesy of uh, uh, ha having uh, XJet was on, as who I think he's a regular, and uh, I was invited uh, on uh, as well, and I'm uh, always uh, grateful to be invited in. And uh, uh, to their uh, their webinar and uh, live stream and uh, good conversation and uh, good questions, good discussions. Uh, quite a bit about uh, what's going on in Canada as well, where they uh, they of course are um, have been set back in on recreational UAS, so that's not a good situation in Canada. Yeah, they keep going back and forth a little bit over there. It's, it's like they, it gets yeah. better and then it gets worse. So yeah, um, yeah, definitely interesting. So uh, this is uh, another one that I wanted to touch base on. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, this comes from Drone DJ. So researchers use an objective method to analyze near misses of drones and crewed aircraft. Uh, so one of the things that I agree and disagree with some of this, but one of the the, the prescient points that they they kind of uh, bring up is that it's very subjective when somebody reports a near miss. So let's say I'm a pilot flying in an aircraft and I report a near miss with uh, a UAS um, or a drone. Number one, how fast are you going? How far is the drone out? What did you actually see? What qualifies as a near miss? you know, all those different things. So this uh, actually comes from a group of researchers at Embry-Riddle. Um, 
and uh, unmanned robotic systems analysis who observed piloted aircrafts and drone traffic around Dallas-Fort Worth Airport's Terminal C between 2018 and 2021. Uh, both its methodology and observations may calm the hackles raised among UAV sector professionals and observers by recurring general media reports of fearfully worded near mid-air collisions between smaller aircraft and passenger planes. For starters, the study was based on the assumption that most of those sightings are made in microseconds by surprised cockpit crews and involved other factors that skew the precision from the outset. Um, as an analytical alternative to those split-second heart-stopping glimpses, uh, as a basis for a near miss, um, the study drew up an objective database process for identifying and measuring UAV flights in proximity of piloted aircraft. Over the roughly three-year period, researchers used different tech to calculate drone telemetry, altitude, launch location, and other salient flight details to analyze aircraft involved in near-miss, uh, uh, near-mid-air collision situations, as defined, defined as encounters within 500 feet. The findings pulled from a 36-month period found 24 incidents qualifying as near-miss collisions, which mean those mean lateral distance between the aircraft was around 215 feet. Uh, commercial airlines were involved in 11, seven with helicopters, and six with what were called general aviation aircraft. Um, let's see, 13 of the 24 near misses registered <clears throat> featured the same trio of uh, drones flying around crewed aircraft, a recurrence suggestive of willfully illegal or just stupid operator behavior that may be eradicated with better enforcement. Um, in the same vein, in fully 96% of all cases, UAVs were determined to have been violating altitude limitations in areas involved. So uh, part of this is, is that um, there are thousands upon thousands of reported drone um, sightings around aircraft every year. Um, this uh, the way that they're kind of uh, approaching it is from a statistical basis. And then um, something as simple as education or enforcement um, to uh, kind of reduce those numbers. Um, I would go more towards the education route because I will tell you, I mean, it is my firm belief that most people who operate, most uh, lay people who operate a drone go to Best Buy or or uh, you know wherever and pick up a drone are not educated fully on you know trust and and the regulations and, and that kind of thing so an education and this is something we've stated multiple times that needs to be um, part of the faa's mission um, as opposed to you know just throwing down the gauntlet um, but obviously there's safety involved here but this can help tailor down the um, uh, the amount of fear factor in, you know, the media reports of, of drones at, at airports and, and such. Uh, they do go on to, to make a, a, um, a recommendation of extending the protections from the current one statute mile from the runway to three uh, nautical miles. Um, I, I feel that's a little, you know, excessive. But at the same time, you know, it, it, it's uh, definitely something that can enhance safety from that aspect. So, you know, take it for what you will. But it's nice that somebody's at least doing a little bit of, you know, research on how to better identify actual issues as opposed to, to making up a bunch, right? So, um, let's see. I think that's about all I have for this evening. Yeah, that topic was um, well clear. And what's the uh, definition of well clear? What are the appropriate distances? Um, so we have a different set of rules uh, under 500 feet, 500, not 400. Uh, this was all; these were all topics in the BB loss arc. Um, lots of heated discussions uh, from the helicopter uh, community. And um, one of the things that you can see in the diagram is uh, a bow tie. So if it's uh, uh, near a runway, everyone agrees that there needs to be appropriate, uh, uh, well clear, and yeah. you don't fly in uh, in the in the flight path. Don't fly UAS, obviously. <laughs> the uh, the official report from Embry Riddle is available for free on um, SAE. 
I think I have oh, there's a link to it. Give me one second. So anyone who's interested in actually going to uh, look at the report, it is uh, available for free. Cool. That seems like a rare thing these days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. shouldn't be, but it seems like it is. Cool. So the other thing, yeah. the other I, thing I had, Josh, was... Um, the other thing I had was uh, that we uh, just submitted comments on the noise policy. Mm -hmm. uh, that was that is due. Comments close uh, July uh, thirty one. Uh, Blunty and I brainstormed on uh, our approach uh, and uh, submitted that um, last week. And the, um, uh, the quite a few comments. Uh, Blunty's estimate was over twelve hundred. And he he could not find any that uh, related to the questions that were asked by the FAA. They were universally "Don't fly over my house" or "Don't fly here." Or so, unfortunately, the comments uh, those comments some some twelve hundred of the comments at least will not be of much use to the FAA. And so uh, we did uh, pro try to pro provide uh, answers to comments uh, as appropriate and as appropriate to recreational UAS. Bridges, you want to find that lead? I did not. Uh, XJet asks, uh, did I res did any of us read Tridge's uh, response to RID in Australia? I did not. I'd love to uh, love to read it. I'm in mm -hmm. communication with Tridge regularly, and I have enormous respect for him. He's uh, doing great things in uh, not just in uh, RDU Pilot, but he's but uh, also doing things. Uh, for the general community in aviation, which are just fantastic. Sounds like he posted it on LinkedIn. Um, I suppose okay. you have to log in to see that link, maybe. I forget how LinkedIn works. Probably. Yeah, right, I'll, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'll I'll look for it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bruce. Well, cool. Let's see. Alex, uh, anything else? Yeah. What you got for us this evening? Anything? Um, uh, multi GP global championships tickets are on sale now for the pilots that have qualified. Uh, top 150 are available to register for pro class, and then the next 100 have a reservation for registering for sport class i believe until uh or august something early august something and then we'll start going that, down the list will that culminate in a in a single location race or how does how does that work alex so yes it's going to be at no quarter ranch which is a freea uh so no remote id needed and it will be October 26 through 29, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but it's on the MultiGP website. Um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much where that is right now. Um, there really isn't much else. And IO was uh, a little damp, but a, a great success, it sounded like. IO was great. Um, the World Cup was awesome. The final four in the World Cup was truly a World Cup. We had representation from four different countries in the final four of the Very World cool. Cup. Very we cool. had Japan, Australia, the United States, and what was the last country? Korea? Uh, Germany, maybe? Ah, excellent. So, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Dan, got anything for us this evening? Oh, uh, let's see. I've got a question for, well, mostly for people who want to comply with remote ID regulations and are looking at modules. What questions do you have or what are you looking for in reviews of remote ID modules? You know, things beyond just what's going to be on the spec sheet. What would you want somebody to test or make a video about for remote ID modules that may not be obvious to a reviewer looking at them. 
uh, and things we can actually do. Not, and maybe we can ask Alex, like, how many crashes will they survive? Uh, <laughs> I'm <laughs> not sure I'm willing to test too. that. But the other thing I, that I'm Alex, willing to test Alex it. is Alex hey, is going to look at what is has the poorest range interference from close proximity. So yeah, I'll be we, looking. We also, we'll be... we also hear we hear rumors that maybe we'll have an event uh, capability and exemption so that uh, for uh, events uh, like I uh, like multi GP races that are not at Frias that we won't need remote ID. But that's we will we'll report on it when it happens. Yeah, some <laughs> of the things that I'm definitely planning to test are make sure there's no un. Uh, unexpected interference with control links, um, test putting it in different locations on the drone and seeing how far away the signal can be picked up by my, my remote ID app on my phone, um, things like that, that wouldn't necessarily make it to a spec sheet. Right. And we should be, be, be aware, everybody, that uh, iPhone is uh, Bluetooth 4 uh, only. So, if, you know, that's going to get very short range. So if you have an Android, uh, then you'll be able to pick up Bluetooth 5, and the range will be much, much better. GP may also have to go. So there is a uh, sub. They, um, there is a, a spec uh, of sub 250 with um, multi GP. In fact, two, right? I mean, tiny trainers are sub 250, aren't they, Alex? Or no? Uh, I think it depends on the tiny. I'm not sure if tiny trainers are sub 250, uh -huh. but there's tiny whoop uh, yep. that. Definitely yep. is. Let me double check. Uh, I don't know about Tiny Trainer. I don't pay much attention. As yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing up in my chapter. Uh, so I'm getting more interested in Tiny Trainers. Uh, yeah. So Control Link as uh, as well as interference with other um, remote ID modules. Um, to us, the standard things are what's the size, what's the weight. What's the amp, the average amp draw? Uh, so is this thing going to suck down my battery? Um, so, so extra is saying that Pilot Institute says iPhones can't pick up remote ID at all, but um, that does not appear to be the case. They can pick up Bluetooth. iPhone right. apps. They can pick up, they can pick up Bluetooth for, or, yeah. or if uh, the RID is transmitting in Wi-Fi, they can pick up Wi-Fi. And so, the modules can choose any of those to broadcast on, or they have to be no. all of them. No, the uh, the prefer the suggested is Bluetooth five. They can also be Wi-Fi. It's up to the manufacturer to choose. They are not normally selectable. I believe there is one out there that is selectable. Uh, the flight test is Bluetooth four and five, and it will automatically do both of those. That's right. But a manufacturer could decide to make it a module that only does Wi-Fi or only does four or only does five. Uh, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth five. That have if they select Bluetooth, that have to select five because of the uh, error checking within the code is one of the other uh, ancillary requirements, which pushes you to Bluetooth five. Yeah, and for example, I've got the drone. Gosh, what is this called? The drone scanner on my iPhone, and when you enable Bluetooth, it says Bluetooth 4 Legacy is fully supported, and then has red X's on everything else, saying Bluetooth 5 is not supported, Wi-Fi Beacon is not supported, Wi-Fi NAN is not supported. So the only right. thing that works on my iPhone is uh, Bluetooth 4. Yeah, and XJet is saying one guy, yeah, it's Alien RC, made a video on how to turn turn off, and it was. Uh... He's got an affiliate link with the uh, uh, with the module that he uh, referenced. I think this would violate Part eighty nine. Uh, yeah, yeah, bits bytes. Yep, cannot turn it off. But the what he was doing is he was still broadcasting. He was just turning off uh, Bluetooth, so it was still broadcasting on Wi Fi. So technically, it's okay. So a couple of mupshot in uh, uh, video chat over here says uh, uh, a couple of things he'd be looking for uh, would be uh, are they configurable in Betaflight iNav or can they be installed without configuration? Uh, mm -hmm. Can a module be transported between quads for part uh, for non 107 usage? How easily mm -hmm. can they be ported to another quad? Can it be done in the field? 
stuff like that. So ease of installation, uh, configuration. Um, yeah, that's a that, I mean, that's a good. I'm glad you mentioned the part 107 piece. So Kevin Morris had uh, was interviewed by uh, uh, Geek Spana, and um, uh, Kevin's comment was, "Let me dispel this myth." Uh, you can use a uh, broadcast module for part 107. That's um, only if it was manufactured um, prior to September 16, 2022. Uh, uh, and I verified this with senior management in the UAS integration office, two senior managers. And um, so if, if it's a manufactured drone, or UAS manufactured after September 16, 2022, it and you're going to use it in part 107, it must be standard remote ID. And operations over people require standard remote ID. Mm -hmm. Which has been our read on it all along, which is all along. But it just, yeah, but to clarify you know, had, and yeah, there was a little bit of confusion created there. I've got an email into Kevin to, you know, let's, could we please, you know, create a little clarity around this in writing? Yeah. If nothing else, it would be great to get somebody in writing to, <laughs> from the FAA to show us uh, exactly what they're talking about there. Yeah. So that can, there's no you know, ambiguity. Yeah, and we we know it from a variety of places, but you're absolutely right. And yeah, yeah, the, and like our, XJet says, it kills DIY drones for Part 107. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And we are 100. We think it's terrible. Why fully against it? So uh, this is why we've be been clarified. talking to. This is why we've been talking to manufacturers about things like. Uh, uh, mediated ESC standard remote ID. Uh, there are a variety of ways to create a standard remote ID for a small manufacturing shop or a DIY so that you can get this done and become the manufacturer. It's non-trivial. Let me repeat, design to fail. Thank you. Yay. It's, it's definitely unfortunate. Uh, but yeah. All right. Okay. Other Other questions? Questions. So we did get a uh, a press release out where uh, well, there are links uh, going up. Um, the uh, the these devices that we showed you are in full full production. Uh, they are hundred percent quality checking, and uh, uh, the quality of the of the boards is uh, superb. It's really nicely done. It's a uh, it's been a pleasure working with the Tritium Electronics team, and. Um, uh, they will be mid-August. They'll be up in flight test uh, for order availability, and those will absolutely be production. Um, someone was asking about how many units are available. If there will be millions of units available, and I don't think there will be demand for millions of units. Yeah, um, no, yeah, no. We try to. So yeah, we're, that's a. It's always a balance. Uh, we think that you know, with the with the gen, you know, the overall general. Uh, negative uh, views on uh, remote ID that the there will not be a, a large demand. Um, uh, that said, uh, you know the you know so then you try to make sure that the uh, the volume set uh, balances. And the as I said, the manufacturer is in the United States, so we're uh, right down the road. They're in Ohio from uh, a flight test, so uh, uh, that will uh, that'll help on turnaround. So just to, to clarify and keep things transparent here, FPVFC did not does not make any money off of these remote IDs. Right. Yeah, we're still um, all we, all volunteer. All the work that we we uh, provided for flight test was uh, volunteer. Free. free. Yeah. yeah no so, charge. I'm an expensive um, product manager. <laughs> it's all about but, the uh, money. Okay. So uh, I just want to clarify that you know we're not we're not shilling this because we're making something out of it. We. Uh, we uh, respect that flight test is, is going, uh, you know, out of their way to create something USA uh, designed, USA manufactured, um, and uh, for them, a big part of this is going to be um, keeping uh, STEM uh, compliant and, and uh, that kind of thing uh, with their program. So, um, but uh, at the same time, they they put in a lot of work and a lot of effort into this. Right. And the, and the philosophy that um, 
Josh Pixler has coined, and we love the phrase, it's free of first. And on the free of front, it does not look like there are going to be a lot of freeas. So uh, <laughs> I don't think it's not they're going to move. September 16th. I don't think they're going to be a lot of freeas ever. Uh, they're Bruce gonna asked be, if they're going to be enough for the AMA, and then there are a couple more. Bruce is asking if these are conformal coded. Uh, no, no. <laughs> but no. Uh, and then uh, Quinn D says, "Do you believe the Pilot Institute's assertion that the FAA intends that home built with module can be used for Part 107?" No, our understanding no. is anything manufactured uh, after September last year. Uh, not be used for part one. Correct. Correct. I haven't built anything since last year. That's right. <laughs> and yeah, and so this is, uh, so it's very likely, I, I did not hear Pilot Institute, but it's very likely that uh, that Greg listened to the Geekspana interview. It was by Kevin Morris, who is in the communications organization in the FAA. And he said that, yeah, no problem. You can put a, a broadcast module um, on a drone and you can fly it. Um, uh, for 107. That is only true if it's manufactured prior to September 16, 2022. There yeah, it's a sort of a way anything... of grandfathering in old drones to be used in Part 107 operations, but nothing Very new. Well. Yeah. Right, well said. And so it's the manufactured. So if we have a, a DIY, home built, we put a broadcast module on it, we can fly it visual, you know, it has to be visual line of sight and it's recreational only. So... Yeah, obviously. Then you get into well, when was your DIY drone built, and when? What's the difference between one that was previously built, and how many try. parts can you replace before it becomes a new drone, and all that stuff? And no one's ever going to ask you. But you can replace every single part. It's the same drone, as long as you have one part that was flown <laughs> in conjunction with a prior part. Yeah, it's funny. I have a bunch yeah, of so, motors manufactured years ago. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that's that's my going of it. Is is there a part on this aircraft that I had on a prior version? That's Alex, like, oh, is this advice so? is aircraft. not legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right. never claiming it was. I'm just saying this right. is what I do. Yeah, and this is Anywho. yeah, and to to meet's meet's point, he says, you know, you can't trust the FAA unless they put it in writing, and that is. That's exactly where I went back to these two senior managers who are in the UAS integration office, and they they just confirmed everything we said. And in addition, I'm going back to Kevin, and you know, probably what you know he'll say is, well, um, well I certainly uh, meant just what you said, which is uh, I was pointing to uh, UAS that were manufactured prior to September 2022. That's I mean that. That will allow him to save face, and that would, and then would get the confusion cleared up. Um, does anybody yeah. know what Mupshot <laughs> was uh, saying when he says something akin to Cube Pilot Cube ID, which is apparently not yet compliant, does not need to talk to Betaflight. It just needs to broadcast position takeoff and serial. I don't know if Mupshot can clarify that a little bit, but a remote ID module can be completely independent of any flight controller. You can just power it up. It'll automatically grab the GPS location of takeoff and then broadcast its location as it's right. flying around. Um, if you integrate it with a flight controller, then you can pass on GPS and do more interesting things, but that's not necessary for remote ID. And what is necessary if you're going to then have a standard remote ID operation is you have to have some capability that if the remote ID subsystem fails its power on self-test, you have to prevent the aircraft from taking off, one. And two, instead of a static uh, latlon for the ground control station or the operator slash pilot, it's a dynamic on a one hertz basis. Um, and I do want to go to a comment that TextJet made way up in the thing, and I uh, I think it was during my internet dropout. He said uh, he's looking for solutions to make the modules uh, self-contained, have built-in power. You can just attach a 2S battery to one of these. You don't Absolutely. Have to, if you want it completely self-contained, a 2S battery will power this thing. You can have a little micro uh, lipo um, and attach it to it and uh, just recharge yeah. that micro lipo. So totally doable 
Yeah, you could probably design a 3D printed case to hold your little lipo and make it really self-contained and put some Velcro on it and uh, yeah, I mean, move it around. Like if you, you well, can look right here. That GPS is right there. You could see the battery right there, and the connectors are literally right, right. on the corner there. So. And the dimension, the, the outside dimensions of the board are 34 by 34 by 8 millimeters. Yeah. I'm sorry, Alex, I'll, I interrupted. I was going to say, I'm going to be designing a mount that I can just attach, plug it into the balance lead of a battery. So that way I can swap between aircraft pretty nice. easily. So nice. once I have that designed, I'll publish that so you, people can download and print it out. Or you could also buy like dozens of these things and stick them on your car and your motorcycle and your bike and just have them powered up running all the time and there'll be drones everywhere. <laughs> <Actually> DC. <laughs> or is that just me? Don't, don't tip me. <laughs> that'd be hilarious well if i have it if i have the quad plugged in and i'm hovering inside my car and i'm driving through dc technically i'm not breaking any rule yeah you're not in the national airspace <laughs> i'd be curious just what people will do about driving that. the car like you know cruising you know at, at, you know four feet above the ground well there's also the idea of putting some dji aircraft on a stick and just turning on the motors and just walking through DC. I know that's a terrible idea, but to figure out if somebody's actually tracking that information and going to do anything about it, if you had no. remote ID no. enabled on a drone no. in a car while you drive by the White House or something, don't you would don't. find out pretty quick if somebody cares. Don't do it. Yes, you would. Don't. It'd be hilarious. Don't. No, 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 no. It, it might be <laughs> yeah, hilarious for five spikes. seconds. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I edited. I'm the only one. As, I'm uh, the closest one to DC here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> bad idea. I am so with you. And and Alex, Alex lives outside of DC. So he knows. Um, he's just he's just taunting us. <laughs> bad idea. Maybe travel through Don't. Gatwick with one enabled. But anyway. <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Tie it to a bird. Life. And then Geeks Vana. Yes, sir. Yes, Sean. We, we agree. <laughs> At any rate. All right, guys. Uh, I will give you back uh, a couple of your next six minutes. Uh, we won't take up any more of your evening. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this evening. Uh, we do appreciate it. Um, yep. There you go. Got the, uh, the uh, <laughs> FAFO there, right there. Um, but uh, anyway, thank you for joining us this evening. We do appreciate it. Thank you for the feedback, the comments. Uh, if you have questions or anything, we will get that uh, uh, kind of Dropbox set up for tech questions uh, in the coming uh, weeks. And uh, that will become a, a uh, it will have a home here on our town hall. So if you're having an issue, uh, we want to hear about it. We want to be able to help you with it. And, um, and, uh, get you back flying uh, in the best possible way. So um, at any rate, thank you. Uh, have a great night, and we will see you in two weeks. Thank you. Good call.